Open your Bibles, please, to Isaiah 52. We're continuing our Advent series titled Words of Promise. This morning we're looking at joy. When was the last time you heard something that brought great joy? I'm talking the kind of joy that produced a physical response like shouting or dancing or clapping. The kind that caused you to share the news with everyone around you. That's the joy Isaiah invites us into, and it, it involves feelings and emotions, but it isn't controlled by our circumstances. Instead, it's rooted in the promise that our greatest obstacles have been overcome and our greatest sorrows have been taken from us. This is the joy that we're invited to enter into. With this in mind, let's look at Isaiah 52, beginning in verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. We'll stop there. Let's pray. Father, we ask that by your spirit you give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Lord, you know it's been my prayer the Lord, we'd experience the joy that is found in you. The Lord, each one of us in this place would experience renewed joy. Work in us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Three things we'll see this morning. First, beautiful feet and songs of joy. Second, a man of sorrows. And third, singing mountains and endless joy. First, beautiful feet and songs of joy. Beautiful feet. Since when are feet beautiful? Okay. <laughs> we'll get to that. The prophet Isaiah gives a picture of this herald, a messenger, a courier, approaching the city of Jerusalem. He's, he's running as fast as he can with news that will change the future of everyone who hears what he has to say. Now, oftentimes, news would be reported back from a battlefield. That's the imagery that we have of one coming back from a battle. He's exhausted. He's been running. He's sweaty. He's catching his breath. And then he reports this. Victory. We won. Well, he won. The king, and he's returning. It's over. It's over. The threat that hung over us for so long, it's gone. The enemy is defeated, and the king is coming back. That kind of news would send everyone just screaming and cheering and, and singing. No one would remain quiet. I mean, imagine the hugs and, and the smiles and the tears, the relief. Victory. We're safe. This is good news. Good news. In the Hebrew, it means royal announcement or the proclamation of tidings, a, a report. 
The New Testament Greek is where we get the word, it's where we get the word gospel, good news, or gospel. It's the announcement, the good news, the gospel of peace. We learned about peace, shalom, this wholeness, this restoration, this reconciliation. Isaiah 52 says it's also good news of happiness, of salvation or deliverance, of victory. So the messenger says to Zion, which is a hill uh, Jerusalem is built on, so when he refers to Zion, he's referring to Jerusalem or to Israel as a whole. The messenger says to Zion, your God reigns. That's his message. That is the good news Isaiah the prophet is, is holding up. Now why is the reign or the rule of God good news? Why would this be good news? This message is given during a time when Israel faced exile. If you remember, dragged off into captivity by another nation. That's what exile is. First, the northern kingdom uh, of Israel. Remember, the nation of Israel is divided into two during Isaiah's ministry. And you've got the northern that's primarily made up of 10 tribes and the southern kingdom uh, made up of two. And his ministry was primarily to the southern, which is also referred to Judah. But you've got this northern kingdom that's already exiled into Assyria or had been, and then the southern exiled into Babylon. And why? The judgment of God on a nation that had pulled away from him. They had turned to other gods. They had trusted corrupt political leaders rather than God. They had ignored injustices of all kinds. And so here this announcement that your God reigns, he's coming back to Zion, to Jerusalem, the Lord's return, it communicates restored presence, restored relationship. And so this message would have brought great hope to Israel while they were facing exile. That their captivity, their exile, it's not the end of it. It wasn't the final word. God would intervene and deliver. In other words, what Isaiah is saying to Israel is that there is no obstacle too great for God to overcome, to redeem you, to rescue you. There's there's no obstacle too great. It's a message that communicates that God is not indifferent He hasn't forgotten them. He's overcome. He reigns. He rules, which means he's in charge, which means there's a new way of life that you are invited into out from under all the false hopes and empty promises that you've been trying to to walk out on your own. That's the message that Isaiah is holding up for Israel. But that message is for you and I. Verse 8 the watchmen on the walls, they, they lift their voices and together they sing for joy because of what they see. They see the return of the Lord, capital L-O-R-D in our Bibles. It's referring to uh, the name Yahweh. This is the, the personal name of God, which um, if you uh, translate it, it means essentially he who is, the I am. Remember, God revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush, and he, Moses says, who do I say sent me to Egypt? And he says, I am. I am. So God's very name speaks of his presence. And so here he's saying, the Lord, the great I am, the, the he who is, he's, he's come back. He's come back as king to rule and reign. And it produces joy in the hearts of the watchmen on the walls who are waiting for this messenger to say what he has to say. They weren't sure, victory or defeat, and he announces victory. And it launches them into what I imagine, because I grew up 
with uh, Star Wars, like Return of the Jedi celebration. Ewoks dancing, you know, everyone's high-fiving. The victory, it ha- the Death Star is blown up. I mean, we're excited. <laughs> I'm dating myself here, I know. Joy, feelings of happiness, feelings of delight. Yes, that's what joy is, but it's more than that. Biblical joy isn't controlled or determined by our circumstances. Instead, biblical joy is a decision to rejoice in God's love and promises. You've probably seen this if if you've read the Bible. Throughout the storyline of the Bible, God's people have made this decision again and again. They've made the choice. They've chosen joy. They've chosen to rejoice in the midst of great trials, in the midst of great tribulation in the midst of persecution, in the midst of imprisonment or wilderness. They don't ignore the pain. They don't ignore the grief or the sorrow of life, but it's a decision to trust God that the present pain, the present grief, the present sorrow, it isn't the final word. Just like God's word to them, to Israel in Isaiah's day, that your exile, it's not the final word. Our present sorrow and grief Our pain is not the final word. It looks beyond the brokenness. It anticipates the future of what will be in all of it. This decision to rejoice in the midst of trial, this decision to celebrate what is true of God and his victory, it's inspired by God's activity and love and faithfulness and promises. That's where the inspiration comes from. That's the joy we're to walk in. Verse 9, there's the invitation to the broken, the desolate, the downcast. It says, you waste places of Jerusalem. Break forth together into singing. In other words, hey, don't be an observer only. Be an active participant in this joy. The watchmen are singing, and now, hey, you desolate places, you waste places, all you broken, all you without hope, participate in this. Don't be an observer only. How personal, how personal are, you, are you taking this? Are you making this? This joy is ours to enter. It's ours to walk in. You know, when you have a baby like Dan and Gina did, it's personal. You celebrate it. When, when you find out you're cancer-free, you're not just like, yeah, well, let's just keep going. No, you, you tell somebody. It's, it changes everything about the rest of your life. Or when, when she says yes to marrying you, it's not like, yeah, I knew you'd say that. <laughs> Let's get on with our evening. No, it's like, oh, oh yes. It's personal. Yeah, I remember um, sitting in the hospital waiting room, waiting to hear the report from the doctor when Valerie was having several brain surgeries. She has a tumor in her brain stem, and she's safe now. She'll, I'll die before her, I'm sure. I'm just positive, sure of it. But the point is, she almost died many times, and we were um, so scared and so unsure of what, was, what the final outcome was going to be. And I remember waiting uh, many times in the hospital waiting room for that, that doctor to come in and tell me, give me the report. This is so personal. Give me the report. I want to She's good. Okay. These promises 
that are given to Israel, it's bigger than Israel. And we know it because of the other fragments we've been holding up in the prophet Isaiah. Do you remember we talked about holding up these fragments in the prophet Isaiah that together tell a big story of this coming rescuer, this coming redeemer, this Messiah, the anointed, promised king who will rescue not only Israel, but the nations out of their brokenness. So there's this anticipation that's growing and building. We know it's not just for Israel because of those fragments we've held up, but we also know because of verse 10 of chapter 52. It says, all the nations of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. So the Lord will take what seems broken and repair it and restore it himself. The Lord himself. The Lord himself has comforted his people. He himself has redeemed, it says. The Lord has bared his holy arm. I like this imagery. It's like he's, he, he, he rolls up his sleeves, shows his muscles. He's intervened. That's the idea here. He's getting involved. Beautiful feet. That's where we started. Yes, they're beautiful. It's because of the good news they bring. The good news they bring of God's victory. The good news they bring of God's triumph. The good news they bring that he reigns. And he reigns over every power. And our greatest obstacles have been overcome. Exile, overcome. Stubbornness of heart, overcome. Overcome. So first we see beautiful feet and songs of joy. Second, a man of sorrows. Let's keep reading. Look with me in Isaiah 52, beginning in verse 13. We're going to read all the way through 53, verse 12. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, shalom. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation who considered uh, that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. 
when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Man of sorrows. This is the fourth and the last servant song in Isaiah you can find the others in chapters 42 and 49 and 50. And they're called the servant songs because of the servant that they mention. These servant songs make clear that this servant is the promised anointed one. He's the coming king. He's the branch that we've already mentioned that will grow up out of the stump of Jesse. Now, wait a minute, time out. The promised child, the promised king of peace, the one who will establish a kingdom of peace is also referred to as the Lord's servant? That's right. That's what Isaiah is saying. And he will be exalted, Isaiah says, and is referred to as the arm of the Lord in chapter 53, verse 1. Well, remember chapter 52, verse 10, where he rolled up his sleeves and revealed his arm? He's also called the righteous one. And yet he will have no beauty that we should desire him. In fact, it says he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And so he is human and clearly divine. He is the arm of the Lord, yet he is oppressed, afflicted, cut off and crushed by the Lord. So the focus the heart of this servant song is verses four through six of Isaiah 53. On both sides of these verses is the story of the servant's rejection. And Isaiah's message of hope and judgment, it reaches, I believe, its, its pinnacle right here. Verse four, it says he has borne, the servant, this promised servant who will come, he has borne our griefs, and carried our sorrows. How many times have you asked someone to carry something for you that was too heavy? I mean, you're moving. Hey, we've all been there. That's, that's not the imagery here. The imagery is that we're being crushed by something that we can't get off ourselves, and he takes it from us. He bears it for us. He carries it. The idea is to take up, to shoulder, to accept as one's own this coming servant. That's what he will do. The weight of our sin and shame, our greatest sorrows taken by this man of sorrows. Verse 5, pierced for our transgressions, which means rebellion and offense, crushed for our iniquities, the idea is guilt. He'll receive upon himself the punishment that will bring us shalom, that will bring us peace or wholeness, restoration, and by his wounds we are healed Verse 6, we, we all have gone astray like sheep. And the Lord has laid upon him, this promised servant, the iniquity, the guilt of us all. And so there's an emphasis on the exchange of roles. 
this man of sorrows, this suffering servant who is in our place. There's an exchange. Our greatest sorrow is taken. This is how God's promised victory will come. Wait a minute. I thought it was going to be through a conquering king. Isn't that the announcement we read in chapter 52? Now you're saying it's through a suffering servant. So which is it? And Isaiah answers with yes. Number three, singing mountains and endless joy. Turn with me to chapter 55, verse 12. We're holding up another fragment of Isaiah. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. What's going on here? Verse 12, and you, you will go out. The idea is to be brought out of captivity, out of exile, out of bondage, and into joy. And you will be led forth by the Lord himself into peace, into wholeness and restoration. Many years ago, uh, I took Valerie on a date. Actually, it was a, a double date with my brother-in-law. And we, we, we took um, Valerie and her sister out. We blindfolded them. We drove them around like crazy uh, to disorient them, of course, because that's what you do on a date. Um, <laughs> before we were married, actually. And I remember we, we drove around in this neighborhood, like probably faster than we should have, and we were in this cul-de-sac, and this guy runs out with a bat. He's like, what are you guys doing? And he looks in the car, and he sees these two girls are blindfolded in the back. (laughs) We're good, man. We're good. (laughs) True story. So then we we went to the restaurant that we had called ahead and told them we were going to, uh, we we reserved the table, and we, we walk in. They're still blindfolded. They don't know where they are. We would not let them take the blindfolds off. And so everyone's like, oh, isn't this great? Look at it. Look at these people, man. I don't know why they weren't freaking out and, like, jumping us and but you know, back in the late 90s, I guess you could do what you want. <laughs> there we were, in Carabas, in the middle of the restaurant. <laughs> they lifted their blindfold. Oh, wow, this is great. Last time we did that. Um, she was in good hands and was led into a feast. <laughs> That's the whole idea. You like that connection with Isaiah? I just wanted to tell a funny story, that's all. We'll see if I keep it for second gathering, but we'll see. Led forth, led forth. I think the imagery is good because oftentimes we're blind to the reality of God's faithfulness. Oh, but I don't know how much we can. Here's the picture. The picture here in Isaiah 55 is one of what will be. It's the anticipation of the age to come. It's poetic imagery, and we've seen it before in Isaiah, depicting creation finally set free from its bondage to decay, out from under the curse. Remember, here's what he says. Instead of the thorn bush, which is a symbol of sorrow, instead of the briar, oh, there'll be new creation life. No more death, no more curse, no more sin. It's replaced by life 
in joy. And so this all will be an everlasting sign, Isaiah says, a forever display of God's triumph and victory, a display of his nature and character of his love and grace. And so between beautiful feet and singing mountains, what do we find? A man of sorrows. Between songs of joy and endless joy of what will be, what do we find? A servant song filled with suffering. The way that we will experience the joy of the Lord, the only way, it's been paved through the man of sorrows who bore our sorrows. 700 years later, a promise is given to an unassuming teenage girl who lived in a podunk town called Nazareth. I want you to see it. Turn with me to Luke. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed, engaged to a man whose name was, or was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and and, and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how? How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel said, answered to her, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you, will rest upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Turn with me to Luke chapter 2, verse 10. The angels are announcing to these shepherds, At the the birth of Jesus, the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the King, the Anointed, the Messiah, the Lord. Jesus would grow up and begin public ministry And his message, do you remember what it is? What it was? The kingdom of God. The time is fulfilled, he said. The kingdom of God is at hand. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. The good news of what? The good news of God's reign. The good news of God's kingdom. The announcement of of God's reign. And and guess what? Where there's a kingdom, there's a king. And Jesus is then calling people to repent and come to himself as and, and bow their lives to him. And that's what we've been doing ever since. So the, the good news of God's reign is now being held up through the ministry and the proclamation of Jesus. And it took a while for Jesus' disciples to understand that Jesus actually came to fulfill what the prophets had been saying, that he came to die. And that his death would not be his defeat or theirs. 
Jesus would overcome hate with his self-giving love. He would overcome death by laying down his life. He would overcome our separation from God by receiving or taking the punishment for our sin. Jesus accomplished what Isaiah promised, and he did it for the joy that was set before him. He is the royal announcement. He is the good news that now his followers proclaim. In Mark chapter 1, verse 1, it says, the beginning of the gospel, the good news, about Jesus the Christ, the King, the Anointed One, the Son of God. In Mark 10, 45, it says, the Son of Man came to do what? Jesus is saying this. The Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. He's quoting that servant song of Isaiah 53. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, he himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree, on the cross, Matthew 8, verses 14 through 17, Jesus, he's, he took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Another direct quote from that servant song of Isaiah 53. And then there's this wonderful story in the book of Acts. This is after Jesus has ascended to heaven and his disciples, his followers, this, this church is born. And, and Philip, he's going along the way and he hears an Ethiopian reading what? Isaiah 53. The Ethiopian is in his chariot, he's a wealthy man, and he's reading, which was common back then, out loud, Isaiah 53. And Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, how can I unless someone explains it to me? Well, that's an invitation. Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, it says, he told him the good news about Jesus. He drew a direct line from Isaiah 53, that suffering servant, to Jesus, the promised king, the promised servant, who fulfilled for us what we could not do for ourselves and who is our joy. Finally, let's look at Romans. Romans chapter 10. Verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, Jesus will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Here Paul is writing to the church in Rome and he's saying, how are people going to hear about Jesus unless someone goes, unless someone opens their mouth, but how beautiful are the feet of those who actually proclaim the good news about Jesus. Jesus was lifted up. He was exalted. He was despised and rejected. He was betrayed. He was denied. He was pierced. He was crushed for us, for us. He is the promised king who rules in victory. He's the man of sorrows who suffered in our place. This is where the Christmas story leads us, you see? And followers of Jesus, ever since, have made this the basis of their joy. Will you? Will you make this the basis, the, the foundation of your joy? The Bible Project, I love the Bible Project. If you're not familiar with it, it, it says this. When, when you believe that Jesus' love has overcome death itself, joy becomes reasonable in the darkest of circumstances. 
So church, now we have the honor of holding up the story of Jesus and of, of taking this royal announcement um, and making it known. That's the kind of joy that we're invited into. It's the kind of joy that produces a physical response. It's a joy that involves feelings and emotions but is not controlled by our circumstances, whether they're happy or not, because it's a joy that's rooted in the promise that our greatest obstacles have been overcome and our greatest sorrows have been taken away from us through Jesus, the promised king, the suffering servant. That is our joy to enter. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. We thank you. Thank you for what you've done to reconcile us to yourself. Thank you for forgiveness of sins. Thank you for restored relationship. Thank you for joy in the midst of any and every circumstance because it's rooted in promises that you have made and fulfilled in your son, Jesus. Father, thank you. And so we can face any and every circumstance and choose to rejoice, choose to have joy in the wilderness and joy in tribulation and joy in persecution, not ignoring sorrow and brokenness, but deciding to rejoice in the fact that you have overcome every obstacle and you've taken our greatest sorrows. Help us to live in that. Lord, for any, anyone here that can hear my voice who has not put their faith and trust in your son Jesus, your gracious and loving provision of joy and restoration, Lord, that they would do that today. That they would repent, own up to the fact that they need a savior, own up to the fact that they cannot save themselves and that they would trust in Jesus today. And for those of us who have, Lord, would you renew our joy? Would you renew it, Lord, even now? That you'd fill us with wonder and awe. That we'd be humbled by your grace and love, moved by it. And that we'd celebrate it. That we'd celebrate it through song and through prayer and through reading of your word, but also through sharing this announcement, sharing this good news with those around us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen.